It's nice to see everybody this morning. Um, just reflecting on, you know, worship in the past couple of weeks, just sitting at the drum kit, uh, how full this room is uh, week by week as of late, and just what a delight that is. I've heard a couple of times we've had to whip up chairs from downstairs just so everyone has a spot, and that's a really, uh, it's a really good problem to have. And so I'm just delighted to see that. Uh, as Howard mentioned, Brad is sick, and so yesterday afternoon in the 11th hour, he reached out um, for someone to come in and preach. And so I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, I'm no genius and I'm not able to whip up a sermon in less than 24 hours. So I reached back in my notes and I decided to preach the first sermon that I wrote back in 2021 when we were doing services outside at the Hancocks. And so this morning we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So I'd invite you to, to put your thumb in your Bible in that spot. We'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. And uh, let me pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather as a body of believers. Lord, that your word is freely accessible to us. Lord, through Christ, we can understand it by your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive it. Lord, that we would come this morning expecting you to work. And Lord, that you would do so. We thank you for Brad. We thank you for his ministry and all the hard work that he puts in um, to leading this church. And we pray for him in this time that he would just be able to heal and recoup, that he may come back next week and may we continue on in First Thessalonians. And would you bless this little detour that we're taking this week? Um, Lord, may it edify us, may it glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. And so like I said, I don't have a massive repertoire of sermons to pull from. I've only written a few, but this one seems especially poignant when we're considering this backdrop of 1 Thessalonians that we've been in for the past few weeks, more than a few weeks. The grand picture of this series in 1 Thessalonians is heavily focused on ministry. What is good ministry? What does good ministry look like when we observe Paul? And what does it look like when we observe the church in Thessalonica? And the passage we have before us this morning details a massive part about what makes ministry fruitful as well. Ministry is fruitful when its ministers are not burdened by anxiety. If anxiety can be managed, if it can be cast away, eliminated, so can things like burnout, disillusionment, weariness and frustration. Anxiety is a seed that can grow into many things. And so Paul wants to give us the tools to rip that seed right out of the ground. Don't even give it a chance to manifest itself in the many ways that it can. And so we have this passage in Philippians this morning to run to, to that end. But before we do that, I want to take some time and just set the stage a bit, provide some context surrounding this epistle and the particular chapter we're going to find ourselves in this morning. And so the letter to the church of Philippi is similar to that of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, where a lot of epistles contain a rebuke to a church 
that is majorly struggling in one area or another, the Church of Philippi is also a pretty remarkably healthy church in comparison to the others of the time. And so Paul is writing to the church while he's in prison and he's expressing his longing to see them. Paul is praising God for the fruit that is coming from this church and giving them encouragement after encouragement to continue on the path that they're on. It's not unlike what we've been reading about the Thessalonians. But despite the Philippian church's positive position, Paul nevertheless sees potential for the church to slip into anxiety and a lack of unity in the body. Firstly, some things that would have caused this, the imprisonment of Paul himself would have been a pretty big blow to morale to this church. And we also see in glimpses in chapter 4 as a whole that there seems to be this conflict between two prominent women in the church, Uoidia and Syntyche, and they're at odds with each other. The, the passage doesn't really give us any information as to what is causing this division, but these are prominent people in the church, and if this is left unchecked, it's going to cause a massive rift in the church. And so Paul is writing to call these women to agree in the Lord, and Paul is also asking the church to rally behind them in doing so. And so knowing the current circumstances that could affect the church and its ability to further the gospel, Paul gives the church some practical charges to sustain and strengthen them, that they may keep unity and that they would be fruitful. And that's where we find ourselves this morning with our passage. So as we go through it, I think it's crucial that we remember what Paul is saying here is directed to a church of well-established Christians at a decently healthy church. This word isn't just for those who are young in their faith. It's not for people who are brand new to the faith, but it's also for the Christian who is mature in their faith. And so circling back, Paul gives us some charges to the church, and this morning we're going to look at one of those charges in particular, the charge to not be anxious and how we're going to go about it. So I ask you guys to thumb in that spot in your Bible, so we'll read this passage now, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And with this passage in mind, I want to make one statement that we'll unpack with the rest of our time. And the statement is this, prayer is and ought to be regarded as the primary way that we as Christians handle the trials and anxieties of this life. And that might sound like a really obvious conclusion to come to when you're reading this passage. It's a, it's a pretty lean passage. We're just talking about two verses here. It's precise and helpful but my hope is that in plumbing the depths of this passage, we may come to have a greater appreciation for these words and their meaning for us as a church. And so this really does piggyback off of last week's sermon. Brad spoke about Paul's short prayer at the end of 1 Thessalonians 3. And we see that Paul's desire for the church was to be prepared, blameless and holiness for the second coming of Christ. That was the thrust of last week's Sermon. And to me, the flip side of that is that someone who is prepared, blameless in holiness, is not an anxious sort of person. The call to be prepared, in a way, is also a call to cast away anxiety. 
The man or woman who casts themselves before the Lord in all things is prepared and knows they need not worry because they're well acquainted with their God. They commune with him. And it is in knowing him that we let go of worry of earthly things. So looking back at our text, structurally we can see that Paul is giving us two commands and a promise. Firstly, we're being commanded not to be anxious. Secondly, we're being commanded to make our requests known to God through prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. And thirdly, through prayer, we're being promised the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so with our remaining time, I want to work through those three segments in light of my statement that I made earlier by asking three questions. So to make it all clear, our statement this morning is that prayer ought to be the way that we combat anxiety. And I have three questions that flesh that out a bit. So question number one is why is prayer necessary to combat anxiety? What does authentic prayer look like for the Christian? And what can we expect from prayer? So we can start by looking at the first question. Why is prayer necessary to combat anxiety? Paul's first command in this passage is a simple one. Do not be anxious about anything. When I say simple, I mean it's simple to understand, not simple to execute. If you've been a human for any length of time, you'll know that anxiety is commonplace in our culture today. And even just looking at scripture, I mean, we're looking at text that was written thousands of years ago. It was something that has plagued us since the beginning of mankind all the way up to today. And it's even commonly seen in this day and age, there are entire industries dedicated to alleviating anxiety. You look tense, have a beer. I can't handle this right now. I need to just go home and unwind, throw Netflix on. Maybe spend the next couple hours just being mindless. You look tense. Maybe you should get away for a while. Maybe a vacation somewhere warm will clean your head. There's an industry for everything to try and and clear your head. And nowadays, in the age of the smartphone, you aren't just anxious about what's in front of you. More often than not, we can find ourselves anxious about things that are thousands of miles away as well. And so needless to say, anxiety is almost as unavoidable as breathing air. If you exist, you're going to encounter it in your life. Whether it's the modern day social anxieties, political anxieties, or it's more base anxiety like we see Jesus talk about in Matthew 6, food, shelter, clothing. Regardless of what it is, humans are prone to worry and scripture makes that abundantly clear. So this is a daunting enemy And we've battled it throughout history. And here we have Paul telling us simply, very succinctly, just just don't. Don't be anxious. That's a really tall order. And Paul doesn't give us a list of multiple ways to handle it. He doesn't give us a magic pill to swallow. Instead, he gives us one solution. And that solution is prayer. So why then is prayer specifically necessary to combat anxiety? What makes prayer different from the myriad other ways that we can go about handling things that cause us to be anxious. But the important thing to realize here, I jumped, oops. When we look at our text, there's really only two ways that we can tackle anxiety. 
If we tackle it with authentic prayer, we're given the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And we'll untack, unpack that a little bit in my third point later on in this sermon. But the important thing to realize is that you can either choose to comfort yourself with things that are of this earth, or you can choose to seek comfort from God. One is fallible and the other infallible. And one promises a temporary peace and the other promise an everlasting peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. And so we look at these two paths and it, you know, it just makes a lot of sense. It's a no-brainer when you frame it in that way. Why wouldn't you run to prayer? But why is it so often not the case for us? If you had to think of every time you felt anxious and tried to resolve it yourself versus every time you brought that anxiety to God in prayer, I feel like most of us, myself included, would see how unbalanced our prayer lives really are. We have a terrible habit of wanting to sort out our own problems or even running from them or blocking them out entirely. Sometimes we're forced to wait to fix the situations in our life that cause us anxiety. And in this age especially, that's a real twist of the knife. We really want to deal with everything that's ailing us now. We find the tangible comforting and prayer can seem a little too mystical or intangible for us and so we handle it on our own. But in doing so, we don't necessarily keep ourselves from the anxiety in the future. The peace given to us by things, earthly things, does not guard us against anxiety, it just alleviates anxiety. Essentially, if you had to throw an analogy at it, if anxiety was an infection that causes us pain, ultimately kills us, the way in which we try to tackle our problems in our own way serves as sort of a painkiller. It only dulls the pain, it never truly fixes anything. The underlying issue remains, and at the same time, it causes us to become addicted to alleviating the pain. Whereas prayer doesn't alleviate pain necessarily, but it is an antibiotic and it rids the body of the infection. It gets at the root of the problem. And in our blindness, we reject the medication that heals us and we accept the fleeting instant relief of the painkiller. And so why is prayer necessary? Because God is constant and unchanging. Hence, prayer to God is constant, and it's available, and it's unchanging, unlike everything else we often use to push our anxieties away. Prayer attacks the roots of anxiety, and we're guarded from it instead of constantly trying to get rid of it once it's already grabbed a hold of us. So that was our first question, why is it necessary? And the natural follow-up to that question is, what does authentic prayer look like? We know we need it, but how do we do it well? We have this amazing gift before us, and we're called to throw our anxieties at the feet of the Lord, but it can be confusing to figure out what that really means and how to do it properly. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging in this regard. Our passage gives us some clarity. Paul writes, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're given two words to tie to our prayers, supplication and thanksgiving. And if you're like me, or like me in 2021 when I wrote the sermon, you've heard the word supplication many times, but you may have never ever looked up the definition. 
And for those of you who do know it, that's great, but regardless, I'll share it this morning. The definition is this. Supplication is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Some other translations of the Bible will put the word petition in supplication's place. But regardless, to pray in supplication is to make a sincere and humble request to God. There's a begging quality to it. There's a desperateness to it. And supplication on its own is simple enough to understand. I think we've all been there before. You're in the midst of hardship and you fall down on your knees and you humbly plead to God that you would be delivered from your hardship. But in our passage, we see that Paul is tying thanksgiving with supplication. And when you think about these two words, it almost kind of seems like an oxymoron to put them together. To be in a circumstance that would cause you to fall on your knees and beg and yet be thankful before any deliverance happens doesn't make a lot of sense. You would think the the notion of feeling thanksgiving towards God comes after he delivers you, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying come to God with both supplication and thanksgiving. So what is Paul saying here about how we should pray? Paul is saying that in the moment of anxiety, when we bear our anxieties to God in prayer, yes, we need to be earnest about what ails us, but we also need to have faith that God will address our supplication. Supplication with thanksgiving is a result of the Christian who prays in their time of need with thanksgiving because they know that God hears them and will not hang them out to dry. We ought not to pray as if we're shooting a letter out into space, hoping that we got the trajectory just right, and somewhere in the cosmos the stars aligned and God received our prayer. We hope we hear something back. Nor should we treat prayer like a therapy session with God. God sits across the room, pad and paper on a chair, and you sit on a chaise lounge and you look up at the ceiling and you ramble off all of your issues to God, and you leave feeling satisfied because you were able to just vent and get it all off your chest. If we get in a habit of praying like this, the act of prayer itself becomes our comfort rather than God. We ought to pray as if we're talking to our Father right in front of us. He doesn't mistake our words or our emotions. He doesn't ignore your needs or your sorrow. He isn't there to simply listen to what you have to say so you can just vent. God wants to help you. It's a two-way street. We have communion with God. And so we pray to God as our father, knowing full well that a father will do everything in his power to see his child through tough circumstances. And because we know that he is our father, in the midst of supplication, we can be thankful, even worshipful, for we know God will ensure the best for his children and we can feel thankfulness in advance because we know who we are praying to. If you were putting yourself in the position of you as a child and you had something go wrong at school and you were terribly sad and you came home and you said to your dad, you know, you just laid it all down in front of him and I feel terrible and I I can't fix this. Your dad might say something like, it's going to be okay. When he says that, has he fixed anything in that moment? No. But you believe him and you feel good about it because he's your father and you trust what he's saying to you. That's who we're praying to and that's how we ought to regard prayer when we come to him. 
So now we've looked at why prayer is necessary for the Christian. We've looked at what prayer ought to look like. And now we have our final and third question, and that is what can we expect from prayer? And again, Paul this morning answers this question easily for us. He says, we can expect the peace of God that surpasses understanding, and this peace will also guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But in order to expect something, we need to understand to a degree what it is we are expecting. And so there's a bit of work that has to be done yet in this text as we come to a close this morning. And I'll start with the obvious. We are working with a piece that Paul says is, surpasses all understanding. And so my goal this morning isn't to attempt to theologically unravel something that is humanly incomprehensible so we can better expect it. I think that would be a foolish use of our time. But just because the mechanics of something is beyond our understanding does not mean that there aren't perceivable benefits for us. Clearly, Paul acknowledges that this peace surpasses all understanding, and yet, he knows for a fact that it guards our hearts and our minds. And this quality or outcome of the peace of God is where I want to dwell with our remaining time, for it is a characteristic that is wholly unique to the peace of God. Earlier on, we talked about a few examples of ways that we push our anxiety. They're narrow examples, entertainment, food, vacation, fill in the blank. And we've unpacked this a little already, but we're terribly talented at making useless things our ultimate sources of peace. But all these things have a unifying quality that serves as a good contrast between our common understanding of peace and the unique peace of God, which Paul is talking about in our text The crux of it is this, true peace, the peace of God, is not something you are responsible to maintain. All other things in life that we use to sow our own peace are things that we must maintain in order to continually have peace. All of these earthly ways that we discussed in the first question fly directly in the face of what Paul is calling us to do, and this is why. The irony in these things is that What you believe is giving you peace, if it's not prayer, if it's not the peace of God, it's probably actually causing you anxiety and you don't even realize it. If you yourself are responsible for maintaining your peace in life, aren't you acknowledging that without that maintenance, your peace can be lost? We end up in situations where we fear our peace will be taken from us and so our defenses are always up, protecting something that we believe is our ultimate source of calm. And this is really crazy when you think about it, but sadly, it's very true about how we perceive and handle peace if we're not careful. If your personal concept of peace is only found out of camp in the summer, have you not made the rest of the world an anxiety unto yourself? If you need to be at the bottom of a bottle to feel any relief in your life, haven't you made every time that you aren't at the bottom of a bottle a misery? And so the good news this morning is that by faith in Christ, you can receive true peace. Peace that preserves you. The peace of God made possible by faith in the work of Christ. God does not require you to maintain the peace that he bestows. The peace of God is bestowed to maintain you. In every circumstance, every season, every high, and every low. That's truly glorious. And the one final caution that I have with that this morning 
is that you can't handle the peace of God like you would handle the fleeting pieces of this earth. And so when I wrote the sermon back in 2021, Brad had me listen to a Doug Wilson sermon on this text, and he made a really striking image that highlights the point I'm getting across here about this caution. So we talked about this peace preserving you, and so in a way you can kind of think of God's peace as some sort of spiritual armor. And with that armor, anxiety can attack you, but it won't defeat you. You can defend yourself with this armor. And so if we treat this armor like we treat regular peace and we want to protect it ourselves, it's like having a helmet that you tuck under your arm and you guard it from being attacked with your own head. It just doesn't make any sense. And so with the peace of God comes an additional responsibility if we want to fully experience it. We need to put the armor on and we need to surrender our control to God to let his peace do the work like Paul is talking about. And this is hard but it's a truly glorious thing. By faith in Christ, this peace is yours. Our God is the God of peace and he gives his peace freely to those who believe. Those who truly lay their anxieties down before him in prayer. Christ has made this accessible to you. And when you see him for who he really is, you have it. And this is what we ought to expect when we pray. So in closing this morning, Paul leaves us with a lofty, an important call. If we're to further the gospel, there isn't room for anxiety in our hearts and minds. If we want to eradicate anxiety, we need to learn to pray. We need to know what to ask for and we need to expect it in faith. The call to not be anxious is a very difficult call, but we can be greatly encouraged by the peace of God that is afforded us by way of prayer, made only possible because Christ has opened that way to us. And so if you're in Christ this morning, something that always comforts me and something that I think about often in the midst of small earthly troubles is this. The harshest and the most anxiety-inducing consequences of your life have been paid for on the cross. And for the many anxieties that will creep at the door throughout your life, you have free, unhindered access to the Father, the God of peace who will guard you and keep you when you come to him and you ask him, so ask. Go to him first and foremost in all the circumstances of your life. Yearn and expect with faith and receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that you don't have to keep up or protect or maintain, but a peace that keeps and protects you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often succumb to anxiety. Lord, today more than ever, it's, it's just knocking everywhere. We want to be worried. We want to fix our problems. We want to do things ourselves. Lord, your word gives us a lofty call. Lay it all down. Give it to God in prayer. Don't just give it, but expect God to work. And Lord, we need the spirit, we need faith to do this. And so Lord, I pray that you would work in and amongst ourselves this morning to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Would we expect it? Would we receive it? And would we not blindly put the helmet under our arm and block the blows with our head? May we handle it rightly. 
Lord, not just so that we can be happy and we can go on our lives, Lord, but because we want ministry to abound. We want the gospel to spread. And we can't do that when we're too busy worrying about our own problems and all the little things that keep us from what really matters. And so, Lord, would you bless ministry and its ministers and keep anxiety at bay? Lord, would we rely on you and would we lay down our problems at your feet and come to you as a child to a father, comforted by the words of our Father? Lord, we thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.